Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. Member FDIC. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Talk Easy. I'm Sam Fragoso. Welcome to the show. Today, I am joined by musician, artist, filmmaker, Kevin Abstract. He's a leading member of the group Brockhampton, a self-described hip-hop boy band. They have a new record out called Roadrunner, New Light, New Machine, which you can find wherever you listen to your music. But before we get into the episode, I want to take a moment with yesterday's news. As you saw, Derek Chauvin was charged for the murder of George Floyd. He was found guilty on all three counts and will hopefully be spending the rest of his years in prison. I watched the verdict on television, perhaps like many of you. As the guilty charges came in and the judge confirmed the conviction with each juror, I felt anxious and tense. Even after Chauvin was carted away, I felt very little relief. And maybe that's because there's no real relief to be had here. And there never was supposed to be. What happened to George Floyd on May 25th of 2020 is not something we get to move past. Those 9 minutes and 29 seconds will forever live on through you and I both. But you don't get to move past tragedy. You move with it, each day, one foot in front of the other, 
you learn to live with it. Despite some of the proclamations you may have heard yesterday, George Floyd did not sacrifice his life for justice. He did not offer himself as tribute for us, for the cause. This is something I think white people like to say, and it is maybe well-intentioned, but it's also wrong-headed. George Floyd had no choice in the matter. He did not decide to become a symbol for a movement or a name yelled in the streets during protests. Yesterday, the mayor of Minneapolis, Jacob Frey, said, George Floyd came to Minneapolis to better his life, but ultimately, his life will have bettered our city. We need to stop this. I know everyone desperately wants a modest win after a year of tremendous loss. This isn't it. George Floyd was a son, a brother, and a father, and now his family and friends have to continue onward without him. George Floyd did not choose to become an emblem, a name in a future history book. His life was unjustly taken away too soon. He had no choice in the matter. The choice, evidently, resides in us. This is the start, not the end, of the road to achieving racial justice in this country. May we choose to move forward and do the work to ensure this doesn't keep happening in America. So, I thank you for being here today, and I hope you'll join us again as we have conversations with people much more qualified than me on the subjects of police reform, gun legislation, and anti-racism practices. For right now, in this moment, I know we're all sitting with a lot, all at once, but I hope this talk with Kevin Abstract brings you a little bit of comfort and light. His music has a way of doing that. Please stay safe. Kevin Abstract, thank you very much for being here. You are the first guest that we've ever had on that's wearing sunglasses in a recording. <laughs> and I just want to give you that honor now. Thanks. It's like just this is new thing I'm trying out. What is the new thing? Just something about like this combination between uh, sunglasses and the beanie just makes me feel like I'm in a sci-fi movie. <laughs> and I'm just trying to lean into feeling like that all the time. Hasn't the last year kind of felt like a sci-fi movie? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's probably where the inspiration comes from, honestly. I mean, I, I've been thinking about it for you and you have this record coming out. What has this last year been like for you? I kind of felt like everything, you know, it was hard, it was beautiful. It was moments where I wanted to celebrate, moments where I was really down on myself, moments where I had to be there for my brothers and trying to find ways to stay motivated, keep my head down and just keep grinding and working on stuff, really. I, I feel like that was the hardest part for me, really, was trying to find things that, that would keep me inspired or keep me going. You know? I mean, your group has over a dozen members, and I'm just thinking... When COVID literally forces people into isolation, I wonder how different of a year you had 
and how much time you usually spend around people now kind of forced to be removed from them. I mean, the thing that was a blessing was that it was a left for me, you know, because I feel like I got caught up in this just cycle of doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results, which they say to never do. And I was like, well, I'm sitting here watching this Beastie Boys documentary and now I want to go make a track that feels like the Beastie Boys and there's no real expectation because I don't have to tour. So I don't have to like uh, worry about what the audience wants as much as I, as I, as I was doing previously. So just little things like that really, or I was able to really get into Dr. Dre heavy, you know, and this is stuff like I've always liked the Beastie Boys, always like Dre always loved hip hop, but like having the time to really do like a deep dive and study the stuff that uh, came before me it like switched so much in my head really. And, uh, and it forced me to go left, which I, which I love honestly, because I feel like I was, I was getting comfortable for sure. I was was getting comfortable. And now it's like, you know, I just want to see what happens if I experiment more and trust my intuition. It kind of sounds like you spent the past year falling back in love with music. Like in the way we first fall in love with music when we're kids or teenagers I guess I would hope as a musician, you would have that sensation more often, but it's probably hard with the constant busyness of touring. It is. It is. And even right now, you know, like with us promoting the album and all this stuff, it's like I'm, I haven't been listening to anything. And it made me realize that when I'm working, I'm not really listening. I'm not really enjoying. I'm not stuck in that like, you know, childlike headspace where when I was a kid and I discovered Will Smith, I was like, oh, I want to be like Will Smith. What, what did he do? He was a rapper before he was doing the TV stuff. So maybe I should rap. And then I got into rap music and I found Kanye, you know? So it's like that sense of wonder, you know, and excitement leaning into that has definitely made everything way more fun in my life. I'm like, everything's uh, more exciting. I wake up and I'm excited to just do stuff now. And previously, before the pandemic, you weren't? I was under like uh, made up pressure, really. Like I was like, you know, what does that mean? You know, I just feel like sometimes artists feel like they have these expectations that are there, I guess, but they're not really there. And, you know, it's hard being an artist and it's really hard, you know, gaining success and then maintaining it. So I, I get I get feeling like there is a ton of pressure. But if you just let go and, you know, realize that you gain that success through just doing what you wanted to do and, and dreaming the way you want to dream, then, then it'll make everything a bit easier and you won't feel as as I'm anxious or scared about things as much as, much as I was like with our last album. I feel like our last album, I was like, um, our audience was like, this is, this is probably like the weakest performance from Kevin. And I, that hit me in the heart because I'm like super sensitive. I just, I was like, damn, like it, it sucks that I don't, I, I wasn't inspired to make those songs and just record, write any of that stuff, put it together. And, you know, people felt that for me. And I was like, man, it sucks that I can't just snap out of it, whatever it is. And and now I just feel like, man, I'm so, I'm so hyped off of what we've been making. And like, I just, I love it. So it doesn't matter if people dislike it. I think that's why I heard last time too, is because like I knew it, I I wasn't that proud of what I was doing. So it stings a, a bit different, you know. <laughs> you were almost mad at people because they saw you for who you were. Yeah, exactly. 
And you were like, damn, I wish I could be a better actor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, I thought you would. I, I didn't think you'd notice that, like, I'm not that excited. It's like, no, like, it seems like he, like, there's no heart in this. You know, that type of stuff hits because I got to come off like this artist that really gives a fuck. And it's like, if that's how I got to come off, let me just lean into really giving a fuck. Our lead single, Buzz Cut, I, I uh, spent like 100 takes trying to get that right performance. And that's like the heart and soul I used to put into our early stuff. So. Yeah, it just feels good, like, being hungry again. I don't even know what I, it's not like validation. It's just like, I want to make something that just really, like, you know, connects with people and also fucks people up. Like, my peers, I want, like, other artists to hear it and and be moved and, like, want to, you know, be, oh, we could we could take it this far. We're, we're really pushing it still. So, it's things like that. I was reading this interview you did, and here's where you were at last time you put out music. You said... I did want to put out a record, but I was also burnt out. I should not have made an album. I think the thing that saved my record is it was vulnerable and it's honest and it's pure, but I personally don't want to make another album. Does that sound strange to hear yourself at that point? It doesn't sound too strange because like, I know that feeling so well. Honestly, I think I was just like afraid of putting out something that could be really good and then it blows my career up. I was afraid of success. I was afraid of anything like that. And it held me back from like really just going for it. And then when I would put the project out, I would be like, oh, why is it not performing so well? Why aren't people listening to it? Even though like while I'm writing the songs, I'm like, I don't really want people to notice me. Feels narcissistic, you know, and... I don't know. That's why I just feel better about where I am right now because I'm just like, I'm I'm just comfortable with wherever this gets me, amazing. And if I love it, amazing. If it helps someone that needs to hear it, then that's even better. And that's that's kind of just where I want to be for a while. You know, you said that you didn't know what the song was going to do, but you had these like high expectations. Even at age 10, you're in Corpus Christi and... You're calling local studios to book time for yourself. This is a 10-year-old doing this. And then at age 11, you call up Def Jam, wanting to talk to the CEO who happened to be Jay-Z at the time. And when I read that, I thought, this is someone who knew what they wanted from the jump. It definitely seems like that, which is why I'm comfortable wearing sunglasses right now. (laughs) It makes me uncomfortable. I'm so sorry. I'll take them off. <laughs> only only because I want to see you. I know, but you know what's crazy? It, I feel, I talked about this in this uh, thing I did with Rick, Rick Rubin, where like I'm constantly wearing a mask. I feel like when I have the glasses and the beanie on, it's way easier to just speak how I want to speak. It's it's because I'm not, I'm, I'm still not that comfortable with, with me. I'm comfortable with my music, I guess. You know, proud of my work. But me, I'm still like, uh, I'm not that proud of, me. I, I heard that interview with him. And in that piece, you talk about wearing multiple masks all the time and sort of performing depending on who you're with. And if you wearing sunglasses and the beanie helps you be more yourself, keep it on. That's that's what we're here for. It's not to be cool. No, I didn't think you were cool. Don't worry. <laughs> it's, not, it's not to be cool. <laughs> I used to, I mean, when I first started, Getting a little bit of success, I was I'd wear a helmet everywhere. You know, it's for the same thing. It's like safety. 
it's probably because as a kid, I wasn't that. I mean, yeah, I just never really liked myself. I don't like how I looked. Lived in Texas. Everybody around me, what I was told was beautiful, was like white and boring and basic. And I felt like I was the complete opposite of that. And it was really hard for me to um, just accept myself. I used to hate my teeth like crazy. Now I really like embrace it. And it's something I kind of like I've realized as I don't know. It's just it's just a part of who I am. And there's some things that I'm like, okay, this is a part of me. I can accept this or some stuff. I'm like, it's just still kind of hard to accept, you know? I mean, you grew up in a Mormon family. Yeah. And I know growing up in Texas, there is this sort of pervasive whiteness and Texas football and, and all these kind of ideas around whiteness and masculinity. Do you remember a moment where you felt like, I need to like myself in this thing. I never realized that like, I didn't like myself. I just realized that I wanted to look like the kid next to me, you know? It was really that. I was like, oh man, I feel like I would feel more comfortable if I was more like you. A white kid. Yeah. I don't feel that way at all no more. I mean, since I moved to California, I was like, there was just this moment where I was like, the only way that I'm gonna make it is if I just like tell the world who I am. And I feel like I made the mistake by not being able to tell my mom, my family, myself even, this is who I am, you know, first. I just put it on songs. I would tweet about it, Instagram, whatever. It started to create this character, of a new mask for me. I, in the song, I'd be like, I'm gay, right? But not really that, but you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I'm gay, you know? I was like, I don't remember the, what song that was. <laughs> I'd, I'd say that and then I'd be talking to my mom and she's like, are you gay or, and I'm like, I'd want, it feels safer to say I'm bi. It feels safer to say I don't like labels. And it's so hard to say the same thing I just said in the song or the same thing I just said in the tweet or the same thing I just said on stage, which is like, you know, that I, I am gay. I'm cool with it. You know? So, I mean, um, there's a strange juxtaposition of this because it's easier for you, Kevin, to hide behind the song. And yet the power of a lot of your work is that so many people feel so seen by these songs. Like they don't have to hide. And that inspires me. If someone comes up to me at a show and they're like, I was able to come out because of this and all that kind of stuff, it helps me feel like, okay, I maybe it wasn't so scary to put that in the song and to say this and they're like, make things harder for you and your family and stuff. Maybe maybe uh, it was supposed to happen that way and use this person who's saying like they identify with you and your struggles, use that as uh, inspiration, motivation to like keep doing it, keep pushing it and becoming comfortable with who you are. You said that at a certain point you accepted that you had to just tell the world who you were. Do you remember what song that was? It's a, it's a song on... um. My first album, it's called Paper Cut. The hardest part about my day is wishing I was straight, something like that. And it was like, writing it in my phone felt like, wow, feels so good to get that off. I feel way better. And then going up to like the mic to record it in front of my two friends who are in the room was like the most insane feeling, I think, because I hadn't told anyone like, hey, this is what I, I just put it in the music right there, you know? 
Rappers rapped about never made sense when the words played in my fucking house. Now I'm on the highway, nearly passing out with my feet hanging out the sunroof. My hands holding your hands, driving past the sunset. I know I want to marry you, it's kind of unbearable, and that's pretty overwhelming. The feeling is brand new. The feeling is brand new, but I still feel 17. It's like I just made MTV. It's like I just FaceTimed you for the first time last week. And that feeling will never leave. Different than all the highs. My life in a new high. The harshest of all times. Can't tell my family I'm bad. Can't tell my mother I'm gay. The hardest part of my day is wishing I was fucking straight. Life could be so fucking easy, man. I knew that people connected with um, bravery. And I was like, you know, if I could just be brave enough in my music, say who I am, what I'm dealing with, I know that'll make me feel better. And also I know it'll help me get closer to some sort of success. And I desperately needed that. I was tired of like, you know, living in Texas, struggling to get money for rent and having to like borrow money off my homies and stuff and sell features and all that kind of shit. So I was like, I was, I was needing a way out. And I kind of just like forced myself to be myself in music because I knew that all the artists I loved, they were fully themselves and that's why I loved them so much and they were so vulnerable. So I just, I looked at that as a blueprint, you know, and it's like out of desperation almost, like really needing this to work. I need to fully just say everything, which would be bad because then it's like almost like the Eminem approach, you know, it's kind of how I would see it. Like he was like super honest about his feelings about his family and stuff. And I would be, you know, writing these songs about my mom where I'm like kind of, you know, dissing her in a way. And now, like, now that I'm older, I look back and I'm like, man, that was not cool. Although that was my truth and that did help me feel better. You know, I don't like the pain that it caused her at all. And I'm way more like uh, careful with what I say in songs now, you know. Um, I want to help people because I love what music did for me when I was a kid, not much it helped me just listening to a Kid Cudi album when I was a kid and I felt like so lonely or reading Frank's letter for the first time or discovering Tyler. I remember those moments, you know, and I, and I remember what they meant. And I just want to give back in, in whatever way. And interviews meant a lot to me too. Inter- interviews meant so much, which is why it's like, I'm tired of not giving enough of myself you know, watching something back and be like, oh, so like closed off. So I got to find these ways to become more of me. Like, all right, put the beanie on and the glasses. Or if I need to go back and put the helmet on, just bring the helmet back or something. You mentioned that Tumblr letter from Frank Ocean uh, where he came out. And I remember reading that in high school. And I was wondering, how did it make you feel back then as a teenager? When I was 15, I had like my first experience with a dude and it went on like it went on for a while and I was like this is just a phase there's no way I'm anything other than straight and then that letter came out like the eve of uh fourth of July I think and I just remember I was sitting in my uh my friend's room I was staying at his house that night and I just remember reading it and I was like what I cannot believe that someone in this space is feeling what I've been feeling all year. And it kind of like, that was craziest feeling I've ever felt. Honestly, I was telling someone the other day, like 
I'm feeling that feeling again in a, in a different way with the uh, the Montero music video. And I think it's just because like when I feel that representation, it really like, it just makes me feel less alone. When you move from Texas to South Central, you have this quote about that period being the kind of like golden years of the group where everything kind of felt new and exciting and, and like magic. Do you still have that fondness for that period? I was honestly, I was just thinking about like how special those moments were. Yeah. When we first moved here, it felt like it was going to take a really, really long time for it to work out. I remember watching it inside the uh, actor studio, the Johnny Depp episode. And he was talking about how uh, he was talking about he moved to LA to be in a band and then the band thing didn't work out and he started acting. And I was just like, man, like I, I don't know where I'm going to end up when I go to LA and it's just going to be a, it's just, this is the beginning of my journey really. So chasing the momentum, creating things with my friends, appreciating our friendship, our brotherhood, you know, you know, like those beautiful memories feel like when you think about them, like it's like sunshine almost, you know. If you're lucky, you remember those memories with your friends. In your case, some of those memories are literally printed on film or on a digital camera for everyone to see. And I I kind of feel like, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it feels like May of 2017 when Star is released, that seems to be the some kind of defining moment. Yeah, that was the, for me, as soon as we saw the footage and we were doing the edit, I knew that everything was going to change for all of us. And I feel like I've been running ever since, ever since we uploaded that video. I think I saw Tyler, Tyler, the creator, like the day after um, we put it out. And he just told me how much he loved the video and how much, uh, like how, how great the verse was. And I, I don't take that kind of stuff lightly at all, because like when I was in Texas, he's all I listened to. The, you know, I followed his blueprint. I'm where I am right now because of him. <laughs> so like that, that kind of stuff really just like, I, was like, I can't, I can't like, uh, can't let go of this, you know? Um, I'm so lucky. I felt so lucky that I caught something. Like just the, the right time, you know? And I don't know. I, I still feel so lucky. Honestly, even just thinking about that stuff. Can we watch some of that video for a second? Let's do it. This is Star by Brockhampton. We'll be right back. Everything that's perfect, damn. Yeah, everything that's perfect, damn. 
You said the moment that video was released, you've been running just to like stay a pace ever since. Yeah, because when, when you get that feeling, I was like, wow, I have something that I think is good enough. Certain type of exposure or like someone that I love might hit me about it. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So just knew, ah, you, you just know when you make something that's special to you and you feel like it's going to be special to other people too. And that's just like a magic moment. It's like the song just came out of the skies or something, you know, really. All of you are living in the same home for a lot of this. And then I guess walk me through this. At some point, the group lives in different places. Is that what happens? We're all together in South Central. And then after Saturation 1, you know, as people in our neighborhood, they, they weren't too happy about us making music videos in the neighborhood. They didn't really want like, you know, their environment to be just thrown up on YouTube the way we were doing it. And, you know, we we were just trying to make art with what we had, you know, going outside. There's a box in the driveway. Yo, Matt, put that box on real quick and like just be this character kind of thing. Just really leaning into what was around us was the vibe then. But you have to be very mindful, like, you know, when you're in someone else's community. Because we moved there, you know, all from a bunch of different spots. So like lucky enough to have a pub deal where I had a little bit of money and we, we moved to North Hollywood and, and I kind of, uh, I spotted everyone at the, at the very beginning of it, but now I was trying to convince them. I was like, after saturation two, I think people will, will feel comfortable. You guys could quit your job and no one really wanted to quit their job, which I get. It's a scary thing, but after saturation two, I mean, it, like they were able to, you know, start paying for rent and stuff. Everyone quit their job. Yeah, like slowly, one by one. I said, okay, this actually is working. Our followers are going up. People, the, the views are going up. Money is actually coming in from the music we're making. It started to turn into like a real thing. Even though we weren't like big, super big, super successful, it's like there's people listening and streaming the shit. So it kind of motivated people and people seeing like me be confident in my decision. Like, no, this will work out. I think that that helped like push the rest of the guys to just lean into it a little bit more. You know, and I was low-key scared too. I'm not going to lie, but like, I, it's just that it goes back to that star thing, the, the that song, chasing the the feeling I got when we made that song. And it was like, you know, I wasn't going to let anything get in the way, really. Was it easier to have this success with the people you grew up with? Yeah, and it was more fun too. Everything was just fun, you know. I really miss those days. I really do. More fun. Why did they change? You just get older, really, more so than anything. You just get older and your goals change. And But it's such a short amount of time, right? Because it's like 2017, 2018, 2019. Like it's only four or five years. But you get old so fast on the internet. It's a, it's a weird thing. You're new, but you're kind of, you kind of been here. Depending on where you, like the, the underground internet scene, I mean, really, you know, because I don't, I don't think we're mainstream yet, but. You don't think you are? No, I, I don't think we've like gain that real mainstream success. I think we've had moments where like people have seen us for a second or two, but I don't think we're there yet. Maybe after this one though, hopefully. Yeah, that's the goal. Do you remember the moment where the joy wasn't as strong anymore? Like that magic that you're talking about dissipated? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it was after we signed and I have so much love for my label, 1000%, but that's when these expectations that I'm talking about that are like man-made or like you make them up in your head, those expectations really started to weigh on us, honestly. And it's been rough ever since then, trying to keep up with like 
all right, this is our first studio debut album on a major label. It has to be this grand thing. That's all our fault, not the label's fault. Or it's my fault. I don't want to blame the rest of the guys. It's my fault. It's, uh, you know, and then you then you hype it up to be this thing. Our album feed, that's what it was. Puppy's coming. It's going to be this big thing. And then it doesn't come out. And it's like, you know, shit kind of just haunts you until you make something that you really believe is fucking is beautiful and amazing, you know? And it's hard to there when you allow yourself to be controlled by uh, expectations and the perception of yourself, you know? Well, can we go to a song that I think is kind of amazing? It's called Peach off your record, Arizona Baby, from 2019. What do you make of that track? The thing with Peach was I was such a big fan of um, Bill M, of course, but in that moment, like I was going crazy over Dominic Fike's music and I really wanted to work with him. And I had like, it was the last day I had to work on something before I had to turn the album in. And we did a bunch of songs. He was singing all the tracks I already had. He started to chords of Peach and then he sang his part and he kind of just like, it was like a demo kind of thing to him. I think he thought it was cool. He didn't see what, what, what I saw in that moment. He's just that type of art. Like he just goes and goes like, he was like, all right, cool. At least his vibe was like, it's cool. Maybe he did see what I saw. And then uh, it just felt like, the mood of that, the emotion of that, that is my favorite kind of music. And that's what I want all my solo music to feel like emotionally. I wish like lyrically and I wish my performance was way better. I wish it was like, but his hook and the mood of the song and the way Joba and and Bareface sound on it and what Rome and Bari did with the production, like it's just such a... You want to swim in it. Yeah, you want to swim. It reminds me of being a kid in, in Corpus Christi and like, just, I don't know, it's like, it just reminds me of that feeling of the way music used to make me feel when it felt like colorful and vibrant and like alive, and like it's glowing, you know, that kind of thing. Why don't we take a listen to it? This is Peach by Kevin Abstract. I, she met me, let me fuck in the shower. I wrote my number in the mist on the mirror. I'm not the type to tell my homies about ya You're not the type to hold me down through the years I'll be your baby darling, your bodyguard If you tell me to I'll try to make it all Not as hard if you let me through I ain't signed for no bullshit Cause I'm a baby gun bulletproof Make me take two sips All the things I couldn't do The cops come, then we dip, baby Back when we was just friends, baby Shit, man, you was just a baby And I turned on you like Mother Nature Try to think about the blueprint All the shit that she told me not to do Was breaking it worth it In the end, if I'm just a vision you come to In 2019, around the release of that song we just heard You went back to Corpus Christi, Texas, and in front of your childhood home, you put together this kind of performance art as you walked on a treadmill for 10 hours straight. I love that you did this, by the way. What were you trying to say with this piece? Just showing how long, how long this journey has been, how, how tough it is from Corpus Christi all the way to California. Los Angeles, South Central, like, that's really what it felt like. It felt like I was, I was going to do this for 10 hours every fucking day. Like, that's how it felt, you know? And 
that with the album being so personal, I just wanted to show people, show people what it felt like, you know, in, in a way, and and also just go back home. It was a good excuse to go home and and feel Corpus again, and you know, just like Brockhampton Street, like it's crazy. That's where I wrote my first songs there, recorded my first songs. It was just insane to be in front of the house. Really, it mainly made me feel like. I gotta come home more. I gotta I gotta talk to these people more because these people held me down and supported me when my music was, you know, pretty trash. <laughs> and like the, the friends are like, you know, like, yo, what up? Like waving out the window and shit. Like those, man, like that that really made me feel like I gotta step it up as a human being, as a friend, as a brother, and and just like be more in tune with like where I come from. And not in a corny way or anything, but just like in a in a real, real way, you know. So that's, that was the main thing I was feeling at the time. At that point, was your relationship with your mother better? It's gotten better. And at that point, it was still rough. Like, you know, she was working at Sonic still. And like, I remember this, this girl ran up, like asking for autographs. Oh, like your mom, like, you know, I work with her. I just remember feeling so bad that like, I'm here promoting this album in front of our old house. And my mom's working at Sonic. And it's like, I need to... One, make more, do more, uh, get in a better spot for both of us and also just be around her more like in general and stop saying negative things and my music. And because the, the point of me saying the stuff in the songs is so I could heal and, and feel better and deal with, you know, my experience with trying to come out and stuff like that. But I've, I've realized there's a there's a healthier way to, to get get to that that healing and to feel better. And I've learned that there's so much good uh, on, on the other side of it. You know, my mom being able to see the rest of the world accept me for who I am, it's, it's made it easier for her to understand and, and, and deal with and not deal with, but just understand and accept. Like, sure, it may be like a, a weird entry point and it might confuse me because I might be like, oh, is it because of success or money or whatever but i mean regardless it was an entry point you know it has definitely made our relationship better and i just want to you know be there for her and and appreciate her while she's here and not uh be so bummed out about things that i'm already like pretty much getting over and she's already you know apologized for and stuff like that so is this new record the healing then yeah for sure i mean on the lead single uh, I say I love my mother, and you know, and like our early, early tracks, like off saturation, it was like I told my mom I was gay. Why the fuck she ain't listen? More aggressive, more like you know, way more early Eminem. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that aggression is still there, but it's like there's love in it, and I feel like that's what makes Roadrunner special. Is because it's like we don't sound like we're just angry to be angry. We're we're angry, but like there's love in there at the same time, or we're, or we're sad, and we tell you in a very specific way why we're sad, rather than being vague about it. And I feel like that's why a lot of people have been writing us off for so long because it just seems like you know making like these email songs without really explaining what we're sad about, <laughs> which I get, you know, I, I get why. I didn't mean to laugh at you. No, it's cool. I, I get, I get why someone who's like older than us could be like, this is just so you know, like in sync rap. You, know, you go back and listen to like the chronic and all this stuff, like every line meant something, even if it's just like an aesthetic moment where it's painting a picture of what Los Angeles felt like 
it still is it's pushing the whole story, the whole world that the artist is creating forward. And like with this album, we really focused on the lines and and uh, just like the intention with everything. What's the track you want us to hear in this moment for this talk? The light. Joba's verse, the way he opens it up and is so honest and it's just so well written to me. It's like, man, it's, and, uh, tied to the the music. We were pulling from like the 60s and and Dark Fantasy by Ye and then The Chronic, you know, just like making the music feel like it's live and then having raps on top of that. But it's just my favorite sound. <laughs> I just love, I love how it makes me feel really. When I look at myself, I see a broken man. Remnants of my pops put the glock to his head. Nothing ever go as planned, couldn't make amends. Forcibly pretend I don't give a damn. At a loss, aimless, six feet deep, suffocating. Can't face it, can't change it, ain't make it. Master plans by the maker, I see no savior. Moment reflection is stainless steel. Alcohol and pills, deadly combination, left with nothing else to feel. A floral haven. It was painless, I see you in the faces, places, am I making reflections off a broken mirror, fragments of my fear, glaring back like who's there, I can't stand myself beside myself, I see you there, I know you care, You know, Rick Rubin has been a kind of guiding light for you in all of this, and when you spoke to him for GQ, you had this kind of explanation about Brockhampton that I, I kind of wanted to leave on and, and see what you thought. You know, in the beginning, Brockhampton was a boy band. And now it seems like you're interested in the band turning into an ever changing idea. Like, I think your dream is that the group turns into a kind of carousel ride. You get on and eventually get off. All the original members slowly have their seat taken by someone else, all under the banner of Brockhampton. And I wondered if that was something you still wanted in the future. Yes and no. Some days it's like, this is my family forever. There will never be you know, anyone else that could come in and replace any of us. And some days it's like, that is what's beautiful about this thing is that you know, there's so much freedom within it to where it could be flexible and just keep evolving and changing. And we've always been about growth from the beginning. And this is supposed to be something where aspiring artists, young aspiring artists could look at this and say, when I grow up, I want to be in Brockhampton or I want to own Brockhampton or I want to be like a producer, like, you know, like that, there's something really special about that to me. And um, I'm into it. But I'm also not that into it sometimes. You may not want the carousel ride to end anymore. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I definitely know that I want to put out two albums this year and then just be done with the group thing. I don't, I don't want to end the group, but I want to be done with I want to be able to let the artists in the group that, you know, for a long time, we've had to just like, uh, it's so many different styles, influences that we got to make make sense on these albums. And I feel like, as a leader, I kind of, it'd just be weird to be holding people back from like really going off and expressing themselves. So I want, I want to let, you know, artists do that. I want, I want to do that more. I want, you know, I know, I know everyone else has talked about it. We've had big conversations about it. So 
I'm excited for that. You know, that's like the next, that's the next step. I like to think of this show as a kind of time capsule of where we're at in a moment. So if we listen to this in a few years from now, how do you feel in this moment, the afternoon before this record comes out and where do you want to go from here? This is the, the happiest and the most confident um, I've ever been in my whole life. And I really, really want to become a star. That's, that's where I'm at. That's how I feel. And do you think you will be? I'm going to give it my all, 1,000%. So, yeah. I look forward to seeing you on the other side. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for talking to me. This has been incredible. Really cool. Kevin Abstract, thank you very much. Thank you. Talk soon. our show. Special thanks today to Nick Durrell and Ramil Hamnani, Brockhampton's new record, Roadrunner, New Light, New Machine, is available wherever you listen to music. To learn more about Kevin Abstract, visit our show notes at talkeasypod.com. If you'd like to hear more conversations with musicians, I'd recommend our talks with Janelle Monet, Brittany Howard, Kamasi Washington, Mac DeMarco, Brenton Wood, and Peanut Butter Wolf. You can find all of those and more on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you'd like to get behind our work, you can become a subscriber at patreon.com slash talkeasy. That's patreon.com slash talkeasy. We are an independently operated program, so every donation, every contribution helps us continue moving forward. Our executive producer is Janixa Bravo, illustrations by Krisha Shenoy. Associate producer is Nikki Spina. Our lead editor is Andre Lin. Our editor for today's episode is Joshua Siegel. Our assistant editors are Clarice Guevara and Kevin Kaur. Our interns are Caitlin Dryden, Claire Hardwick, Jilly Harold, Patrice Lee, and Grace Perkins. Video and graphics by Ian Chang, Derek Gaberzak, Orion Huang, Ian Jones, Isabel Primavera, and Ethan Seneca. And of course, the show is produced by Caroline Reebok. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. We'll be back on Sunday with legendary photographer Joel Meyerowitz. Until then, rest in peace to the late George Floyd. My love goes out to his family and friends this week. And to all of you listening, stay safe and so long. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators 
whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you, and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry, and me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventionalawards. See you there. Smart journalism, fascinating topics, words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Last year, the Army missed its recruitment goal. It had 65,000 spots to fill and came up 10,000 short of that target. Why is it so hard to recruit? How's the Pentagon responding? And how are the voices of service members on social media shifting the balance? Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish wherever you get your podcasts.